First John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're all like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And if you try and take that all in without having, so in one reading like that, well, good luck. So I'm really looking forward to Adrian expanding on that for us. There's, there's a lot in that reading. Thanks, Adrian. There is a lot, and I'm not guaranteeing to deal with all of that this morning, though I did want you to hear it. That was what was important to me, that you did hear that. So that's part of what I want to say, and it's already been said. Uh, let me do a brief introduction about who I am, for those of you who've never seen me before. Uh, I'm an old minister. Somebody's been around for too long, or for long enough, um, began in Victor Harbour in about 1983, uh, been to Kernelite Gardens for a while and Brighton for a while, and then went, went to Melbourne for 15 years where I was involved in the, the joining together of a Church of Christ with the Uniting Church. And they came together in a very successful union now called Living Faith Church in Greensboro. Uh, so I understand something of the trauma that Western communities would be going through um, and the joy that may come, hopefully, when, I'll say when, all that occurs. So uh, enjoy that process and um, rejoice in loving one another, really. What I want to present is really what I call my one sermon. I, I like to imagine that I only have one and that it gets re re replayed every other week or every week. Different words 
but the themes seem to stay the same. I seem to be saying the same thing almost every week and people don't seem to get it that I've just said it all again and again and again, so I keep on saying it, uh, which uh, seems like a reasonable thing to do. What I want to suggest is that we often complicate it, complicate what we call the gospel with all sorts of dynamics which really aren't there. And I want to suggest that the gospel is very, a very simple thing. It's very simple in the formulation that Jesus gave it to us. It is all about good news. It's good news. And sometimes when I hear the gospel preached, it doesn't sound at all like good news. It sounds a bit fearful. It sounds a bit critical. It sounds a bit like I'm such a dirty, rotten sinner that I better do something about that, which isn't really good news to me. The good news that Jesus spoke to people was that even though they were outcast and even though they were down and out, even though they were sinners, even though the authority figures of the day didn't think they were worth much, Jesus said, you are. You are valuable to me and you're valuable to God. I, all I want for you is healing and hope, forgiveness, freedom. It was, for all of them, good news. It was a bit of a change, so it caused a bit of a problem for some people who'd set their minds on a particular formulation of what God had for them. But what Jesus presented was nothing but good news. So if it doesn't sound like good news, it probably isn't the gospel. It probably isn't something that Jesus meant you to hear like that. It was good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus came with a great promise. You might say a great hope, a great dream. A great expectation that at some time in the future, in a growing kind of way, because he told this about the, about the kingdom of God in parabolic terms, in some way, starting from very small beginnings, the kingdom of God would become a reality. That the people of the world would be ruled by God. That's what the kingdom of God means, being ruled by God, being with God reigning as king, as it were. He, it was so important to him that he placed it at the very centre of the prayer he gave us to pray. Thy kingdom come, or your kingdom come, if you want to get in modern English, your kingdom come, your will be done, which means the same thing as your kingdom come, your will be done is that, that's exactly the same thing. On earth, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus meant that somehow or other the, king, the, the quality of life of heaven would become a reality on earth. And he recruited you and me to be part of it. That's part of the good news. 
that Jesus, God, chooses us to work with God for the fulfilling of God's magnificent promise. So that's what the gospel is about. It's about Jesus coming to the world with a message that we are included in God's big plan. The Old Testament saw the kingdom of God as something to do with their law, their history, the prophets, their fulfilment. They saw it as a national thing. Whereas the people of the New Testament saw it as something to do with the fulfilment of what Jesus had to present to us. Something about his life and example. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark gives his theme for the whole book in verses 14 and 15. This is what Mark is all about. This is what he says Jesus is all about. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what's the good news about? The good news is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near. That's the message we have to present to the world. The kingdom of God has come near. And asking people to join in that big promise and vision of a world ruled by God. But I wonder how God would rule. Jesus shows us that God is love. He shows us by every word and every action that God is love. He shows us in the way he heals people. He shows us in his teaching about things. He shows us eventually on the cross how deep and how broad and how important that love is to God. Jesus shows us by every fibre of his mission and ministry that God is love. And he wants to love us with extravagant love and he wants us to love one another with extravagant love. He wants us to live that love in the world, in our lives, all around us. So he gives us a commandment, one commandment in three parts. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart with, and your, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbour as you love yourself. Here is where Jesus finally says it quite clearly. This is the fulfilment of all what the Old Testament was about. If you're talking about the kingdom of God, the prophets and the law, and that's the question he was answering in Luke's gospel at least, this is the fulfilment of everything. This is all it's about. Loving God with everything that you are and loving your neighbour as you love yourself. We have a little problem with that. Christians have a, a deep uncertainty about loving themselves. Because we've been brought up on a diet of sin and salvation, because we've been brought up on a diet saying we are worms rather than angels and saints, 
Because we've been brought up to imagine that we're less than we ought to be, we have difficulty with that idea that loving ourselves is important. But Jesus knew what psychologists know today, which is that you can't love somebody else unless you've got a deep appreciation of yourself. This is distinct from conceit. Conceit is not a good thing. But to value your life, and I'll get to that in a moment, is really basic to everything else that grows from the way in which we behave. So that part of it is really important. So he's saying, love yourself and by the measure that that you love yourself, love your neighbour. So if you don't love yourself, you're not going to love your neighbour very well. You might do your duty towards your neighbour, but you won't value your neighbour in the way that God wants you to. Or we could express it in the way that John does when he says over and over and over again, love one another. That's John's mantra. He keeps on saying this through Jesus over and over. So it's, it's all about loving one another. It's all about loving God and loving our neighbour and just loving everybody. But what does love mean? Love is a slippery word in our vocabulary. We have one word and the Greeks had at least three. Uh, one was eros, which has got to do with passion, sexual passion and the like. Uh, philio, which has got to do with, uh, really would do with friendship and compassion. Uh, and then there's that agape or agapeo word, which has its own meaning. When I was in Victor Harbour at the beginning of my ministries, there was this old guy who invited me around to visit one day and he said, I've got this little little bookcase of books that I don't want to read anymore. I've had enough of them. So would you like any of them? Some old theological books that he'd used to study. And in amongst those books, I found Bagster's Analytical um, Dictionary lectionary it is, of the lexicon of the New Testament Greek. I, I should know it by now. I've got, still got the book. So being a person who already had a bit of a, a thing about love, the first thing I did was look up the word love in this Greek lexicon. And it gave me this definition. It's there too. Agapeo means to love, to value, to value, to esteem, not just to leave that value, not just to say I value you, but to look for the best in you and encourage that best, to esteem, to build up, to feel and manifest generous concern for it. That's a form of compassion. But to express that concern in a deep and meaningful way, to be faithful towards, to delight in, to set store upon. For me, this became a definitive expression of what Christianity is all about. You won't remember all of that, but if you remember just simply that love means to value, and I often describe it as valuing love now, because it's different from the other forms of love that we have. Another definition that I'd used previously and still think has got some value was about um, 
Hang on, wait a minute. It, it described the, the love as the value, the, the, um, the love of the will, of deep felt commitment. Now, this is a love which is not so much about warm and fuzzy. It's not about hugs and kisses. It's about decisions. It's about deciding to love, to deciding to value, so that it's, it's possible to love your enemy because you can value your enemy as a human being, as a child of God. You can still value somebody who you don't particularly like, who you're opposed to in opinion or, or, or in, in emotion. You can still value them. And that's part of the charm of it's very difficult to feel negative towards somebody you value. So to some degree it helps to overcome some of those negativities that we have if we choose to value. It's the kind of value, that, that's kind of love that's really expressed in the wedding service. When you stand there with a the minister, a lot of different forms of love have to come together to make a wedding. Eros and Filio and Agape forms a foundation. You stand there before the minister or the celebrant and the celebrant will ask you, will you take this person to be your married partner? And your answer is, I will. It isn't I do it, by the way. It's I will. It's a choice we make. After all the investigation of all the people in the world that I want to spend my life with, I choose you. Doesn't matter whether we go through good times and bad times. Remember, in the service, it says that through good and bad, all those good and bad things that it recites. Through all the good times and the bad times, I choose you. This is the kind of love that Agapeo is it's a love of choice. It's with passion, it's deeply felt. But it's not that emotional sort of passion. What then happens when we live this kind of love? Well, there's a certain changes which occur inside of us. We want, we want to grow as a loving person. We want to make changes. We want to repent of some of our negativity. Using that word, you see, we want to change. We want to become something new. And God promises through the Holy Spirit to work with us for that. So change occurs. We grow in loving or valuing qualities of being. Paul calls them fruit. And he gives us a list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's one list. But there's more to that list than that. I, I think acceptance is another one and forgiveness is another one. There are qualities of being that express valuing love which are really important for us to understand or for us to take on as part of who we are. And so we ought to be growing and we ought to be thinking about how we can grow in those things. And partly what it means to come to worship is to learn about those things, to exercise those things within a community and grow in those things that we might become the more loving person, the more person 
who is growing into the quality of life of the kingdom of God, where God rules by his love. What happens when we live love? We would want to change the way we behave towards God, ourselves and others. We learn to become involved in loving actions, valuing actions. Paul calls them gifts and he gives us a list in 1 Corinthians 12. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power and gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. You'll notice that almost in the very next verse he says, these are very good but I'll show you a better way and he goes on to do chapter 13. I may be able to speak the languages of men and of angels but if I have no love, my speech is no more than a noisy gong and a clanging bell. Paul understood the message of love very well. He knew these were expressions of the love of God coming through a human being, inspired by the Spirit of God. But then again, that's not a complete list either. I can understand when when Christians looked at that list, they said, I don't fit in that list. I don't feel I have any of those gifts. And so Christians became passive. They were... They were almost encouraged to become passive. But now we need to discover that there's a whole heap of other gifts. Gifts of leadership. There's all sorts of gifts of leadership. Singing leadership, musical leadership, uh, Bible reading leadership, um, men's shed leadership, uh, group leadership, uh, friendship type leadership, you know, all sorts of things that we do as ordinary human beings that may, we may not think fit in that list but do anyway. I will say that a gift of the Spirit is something which, is, which, uh, which is, comes from our desire to love the people of God or any other person. This is a gift when God inspires us to love and it comes out in an action, that's a gift of the Spirit. And it doesn't matter what shape it takes. That's what it is. It's all about becoming disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a student, a learner, someone who's constantly on a learning curve. We never arrive, we're always learning, we're always growing. So we're developing those fruit, those qualities of being, we're trying to express, we're looking for ways in which we can express the love of God in the community and with one another. We're always learning from Jesus who taught about the kingdom of God growing from small things to bigger things, from, from like, the, like the story of the, what, the, the mustard seed tree, uh, starting from a tiny thing and growing to something that can support people or support birds in that case. But you understand what I mean. A growing thing. Growing within us as individuals. The kingdom of God is within you is another little Bible quote. Growing within us as individuals. Growing within us as a community. Growing within us as a nation. Growing within us as a world. And the promise is that that's where it's going to finish. 
as a world thing. I'm impressed by the fact that Jesus rarely, well, in the first three Gospels anyway, rarely told his disciples to believe in him. He didn't call them to believe in him. He didn't go down by the river and say, down by the lake and say, uh, you know, Peter, Andrew, James and John, believe in me. What did he say to them? He said, follow me. You can't follow somebody without believing in them. But he didn't want them just to believe in him. He wanted them to follow him. Move it from your head to your feet. It becomes something you, you do, you think about in your head, but becomes a reality And when you put it to action with your feet or with your body. So Jesus was leading people physically through life, showing people how to behave, what to do, who to heal, who to care for and how to love. It was an active thing. Jesus wanted us to do as we became disciples who were following him. It wasn't just about thinking about it or even deciding about it or or coming to a conclusion at some evangelistic service when we made some conversion decision. That's just the beginning of the road. It's all about putting that into effect in the life that you've given, you're given to live. So when it comes down to the end, there are two things I want you to remember when you go home, just two. After all of that, well, you can remember as much as you can. Hopefully it's simple enough. God loves you very much. He values you but he also values everyone else around you, whether you like them or not. And he calls you to value them, to love them the same as he does. Sometimes that means that you have to change your mind about them. It's called repentance. Sometimes it means that you have to change your behaviour towards them. That's also repentance. I thought about this and suddenly I came up with one simple line which I thought was a pretty reasonable question that Christians have to face with every relationship and every confrontation. My question is, how am I going to love this one? Every time I meet someone, it's reasonable at the end of NADOC week to think about seeing Aboriginal people before us. And the question is, how am I going to love that one? I'm going to repent. Whether I did it or I, I didn't do it, my forebears did do it. My forebears treated these people abominably. Did I say that well? Abominably. And as a culture, we need to Repent. And I'm really very sorry, personally, about what happened to those people. When I see people who have difficulty finding a job and I hear people calling them dull bludgers, there's a little temptation in my head to agree. But then I think about how am I going to love this one 
And I have to understand there's a big backstory here that I haven't heard and I need to hear before I make any judgment. And how am I going to make a judgment anyway? That's not up to me. It's not up to me to criticise. My, my job here is to love. So the, the question asks me who, I could ask who this one is. Sometimes this one is God and I want to worship. How am I going to love that one? I'll worship in my actions, in my songs, in my prayers. I'll worship with my life. When I, when I see myself, the question is, how am I going to love that one? I need to care for him too and think about how best to encourage him and to look after him, body and mind and spirit. And then I look at the others around me and I say, how am I going to love those ones? One at a time and as a group. That's what I'm confronted with every day as I live life. The question assumes that I am going to love. It's not a question of will I love that one. The Christian question is how am I going to love that one? It doesn't give me any permission to criticise. It doesn't give me any permission to judge. It doesn't give me any permission to reject. Jesus didn't give us that permission. He said that sort of thing is left up to God, not for you to worry about. You just get on with loving one another and finding out how to do that. That's the gospel. God loves you desperately, wants you to become the most beautiful person in the world and wants you to love all of those around you with the same quality of love that he shared with you. When Jesus illustrated that love on a cross and said, this is how much I love you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you as your children, sometimes uncertain, sometimes doubting, sometimes negative. It's important, Father, that we hear you say, I love you. We need to hear that regularly. We need to appreciate it. We need to believe it, to take it on and then to follow that truth as we live our lives. We pray that you'll help us to deal with all of the relationships that we have to confront day by day. All of those people we meet, all those situations we deal with, sometimes difficult, sometimes beautiful. We ask that you'll be with us in those times, challenging us, helping us, encouraging us by your spirit to love, to love and to love. We ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.